Well, good morning again. It's been so long. I missed you. It's been like 40 seconds. Hey, uh, I told first service, um, I, uh, I, I made a joke a couple months ago. We were doing the prodigal son, and I made a comment about, well, it was probably a couple years ago actually now, um, about how there comes a day in everyone's life where um, they run for the very last time in their life. Right, and we we're talking about the, the father ran to to his son, and you just—it's one of those things you just don't know when the last day that you're going to run in your life is. Ironically, I told that story, and two weeks later, my dad um, ruptured his Achilles um, running with his grandkids, and uh, he wasn't real pleasant. I'm glad that I brought that up. But first service, I told him, um, I I know that at least today I could still run because about 30 seconds before I was supposed to be on stage, I remembered that my notes. We're in the other building, and so I ran, and I came walking up on stage, and I'm like, <gasps> you know, so I'm better prepared today because I have my notes right here. I didn't have to run. So, hey, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 9, Matthew 9 is where we're going to be. Matthew 9. We've been working through the book of Matthew, and um, we have so much to get to. In fact, we're not even going to get to the second pages of my notes if it's anything like first service was because um, we have so much to work through in this one little story in seven verses. So let me, let me just get right into it. Um, if, you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, or you can go to mymcc.info, and some of you are note takers, and you can click on the spot that says sermon notes, and uh, all of the verses will be there, and you can click on it, you can write your own notes in there, and um, and then you can save them, all that kind of stuff. So if you're a note taker, you should go to mymcc.info, mymcc.info, and, uh, and go there. It says this, Matthew 9, getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. So you remember, little context, just real quick, just a little tangent, remember some context. Last week we talked about Jesus crossed over the sea he went to the Gentile region, which was the region who weren't the Jews, okay? Because you remember a foundational truth about the, the story that we're reading is that Matthew is a, oh, it's been seven days and some of you still remember. Woo! Not a total failure as a communicator. And he's writing to a bunch of Jews, right? And so Jesus leaving the place of the Jews, the country of the Jews, is significant. And for a Jewish person, anything that wasn't Jewish was Gentile, right? And so it just means everything else. So he crosses over, and we talked about what a powerful image of the gospel this was, that God left his place, he left his people, he left his land, and he went to, uh, across the sea to go after those who the Bible said in Isaiah, tells us this prophecy, that they wanted nothing to do with them. Right? And that's the story of us. That God crossed over. He came after us to a people who wanted nothing to do with him. He came after us to show us grace and mercy. So setting the scene, Jesus is returning back to the, to the area of the Jews. And it says this in verse 2. And they brought to him, being Jesus, a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, that's a terrifying truth, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. It's a pretty simple story. It's a pretty simple story that you might be familiar with on some level. No matter how often you've come to church or not, you might be familiar with this story. Maybe you grew up in church and you had the flannel graphs, and this is the story. Mark and Luke record the same story of some friends who bring a paralytic to Jesus. And it says in Mark 2 that Jesus was there preaching, okay? Um, We're not going to have time to get to it today. We're going to talk about it in two weeks when we get back to the book of Matthew. But it's an interesting thing to note. It says some pretty important things about this passage, that it doesn't say Jesus was there healing, that he was there teaching. And so they're bringing their friend to Jesus to hear his teaching. And it says that they couldn't get in the house right? You probably heard this story. They couldn't get in the house. So what is the logical thing you do when you go to someone's house and you can't get in their house? You climb on the roof and you cut a hole in their roof. Isn't that what you do with your friends? Right? So that's what they do. They climb up on the roof and they tear open the roof. And then it says that they lowered him down on this bed, on this pallet. They lowered him down in front of Jesus. And just for a moment, can we, I know it's not really significant to us to understand the story, but can we just imagine for a moment the people sitting in that room? First of all, Jesus is like an experience, right? Everywhere he goes, he's doing all these kinds of crazy and amazing things. He's already been doing them. Everywhere Jesus goes, the unexpected happens. And so think about, you're sitting in this house, people all crammed in, it smells bad because they're all just like, and it's hundreds of years before they've developed deodorant. And so they're all just crammed in in this tiny little house, no air conditioning, no airflow, and they're all jammed in there just to hear Jesus teach. And then all of a sudden, just think for a moment, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a beam of light shines in the room, Right? Wouldn't that start to trip you out first? Like it appears like a beam of light all of a sudden is pouring down from heaven. And you begin to look up and this bright Middle Eastern sun is blowing through the roof because now suddenly there's a hole in the roof and the hole gets filled. And all of a sudden with just this like glow from the sun, this body descends. You got no clue what's going on. When was the last time you were at someone's house and a body descended from the ceiling? right? This was no more common in the Middle East than it is in your living room. And and they're sitting there and just, just imagining what must have been rushing through their mind of what in the world is going on. This is that same story Matthew records. But Matthew leaves out a lot of details. One of the interesting things that you should do when you're studying the Bible is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called the synoptic gospels. Same root word as synonym, right? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain a lot of the same stories. And when a story is contained more than one time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, who's all recorded in the life of Jesus, one of the things that's interesting to do is to look and see why does one author include certain details but the other author doesn't? Because there's something important going on. Matthew's trying to do something different than Mark and Luke because Mark and Luke tell us this miraculous, amazing story of these friends and their faith and they cut a hole in the roof and all the people in the room that are astounded and he descends like on a cloud down into the room, right? Matthew doesn't include all those. Matthew 
tells us the same story in a little bit different way because he wants us to see something different. And it comes right at the end of the story. It's a really simple point. Look again. Let's start in verse 6. There's a word that's contained twice in this one passage that builds upon what Matthew's been doing all throughout the book of Matthew. It says this in verse 6. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority. It's as if Matthew's saying to us in this moment, like, I'm telling you this story so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. Has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then it goes on if we skip forward to verse 8. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God because Jesus healed him. No, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God because he was such a great teacher. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. They were awestruck and glorified God because he could forgive this man's sin. It doesn't even say that. It says this. The summation of the point that, that, that Matthew wants us to see is that the people were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority. Given such authority. You see, Matthew's telling a story. If you look at your Bible, if you have a Bible or if you're on the Bible app or something like that, um, you may, like mine, you may, where we started reading, have this big nine. It's probably in black, right? And a big nine. And as you read through, there's little numbers, verse and chapter markings. He, here's the deal. When Matthew wrote this story, uh, those weren't there. It was one long scroll from beginning to end. It was one story. Matthew's telling us one story that has arcs and peaks and dips and valleys and drama and twists and turns all through. But it's one story building to a culmination. Now, we added later the verse and chapter markings, if you're curious how they got in there. They, as, as we became less familiar with our text, and, and there's thousands of pages of text, um, they, they began to add them so that we could have an easier time so I could say, hey, we're going to be in Matthew 9 today, right? And you could go and you could find Matthew 9. I could say, hey, look at verse 6, and you could look and you could see where you're going to be. But when Matthew wrote it, none of that was in his mind. And it does sometimes a disservice to us. It does a lot of really helpful things, but sometimes it does a disservice. And one of them is that we think that Matthew's starting a different story in chapter 9. But Matthew's not. Matthew's telling his audience who are, uh, Matthew is a Jew, and he's telling a bunch of Jews. He's telling them one story. And the story we can see back, right? Before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he goes on to tell them what we call the Sermon on the Mount, but he goes on to tell them what is basically the laws of the kingdom. What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God? And he begins to say, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's painting a picture of what it looks like to be a part of this kingdom of God, this kingdom of God. And then, after Jesus, with allusions to Moses, you remember Moses, he goes up on the, the mountain and God gives him the law and he stands up there with the law and he goes and gives these people the law. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God on earth, to be a part of the kingdom of Israel, which literally means to be the ones who wrestle with God, to be a part of the kingdom of those who wrestle with their God. And so Jesus, just like Moses, stands on a hill and he shares what it is to be a part of this 
kingdom of God. And then, do you remember the stories that have to happen after that? We, we love the healings, but Matthew's telling a bigger story. You see, a centurion, he comes, to, he comes to Jesus and he says, my servant's sick, can you heal him? And Jesus says, sure, I'll, I'll come heal him. And the centurion, the, the Roman soldier, he says this, he says, you, you don't need to come. He says, you don't need to come to my house. I am a man of authority under authority. I know that if I tell this guy to go this way, he goes that way. And if I tell this guy to go this way, he goes that way. I know that all you have to do is say a word, and with a word, that my servant will be healed. A man of authority. And then it says, they, they get on a boat. You remember this? They get on a boat, and they go out. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. They go out on the waters, and a storm rises up. And a storm rises up, and it's crashing. The winds are crashing. The waves are crashing over. And, and, and the, the disciples panic, right? And they come rushing to Jesus. I mean, the boat's only like this long, so I guess the rush wasn't very far. It's like, Jesus! Right? They come rushing to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? And it says that he stands up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and they fall completely calm in that moment. And then what does it say? It says that the disciple, well, it doesn't say disciples. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But it says that the men in the boat were astounded because even the wind and the waves listened to him. Even the wind and the waves and then he lands on the shore on the other side, and these two demon-possessed men with um, what is uh, supposed to be about 6,000 demons consuming them. It says they're breaking chains, that nobody can go this way. They're living amongst the tomb. The people are terrified. They're terrifying the people. They're, 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 they're terrorizing the people that Jesus shows up to them, and they cower before him. What do you want with us? And Jesus, with a word, cast them out. And the people come from the city and they're terrified. Why? Because of his authority. He comes back to his own people. And we see this word, authority, authority, authority. You see, when we baptize people, we ask them to make a confession of faith. And maybe you've done this before. And we make this one phrase. We, have, we say this one phrase. We say, do you believe that Jesus is your personal Savior and Lord? Man, all of us love a Savior, Jesus. Don't we? Like, man, I know, oh man, I know that I'm a busted person. And I don't say that figuratively of us collectively. Man, I know it only takes a day of me being with myself to know what a busted person I am. I'm a broken person who has darkness in me and, 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 and just wreckedness and 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 and. and addictions and brokenness and anger and, and, and selfishness and regret and shame all consumed in me. And I know how desperately I need a Savior, and I love that Jesus can save me, but, but that's not the extent of the phrase of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means Savior and Lord. Man, we love a Savior, Jesus. But a Lord, Matthew's trying to say something. Who is this man that has such authority? You know, I think it's interesting to remember that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. He didn't come to establish the democracy of God. A kingdom 
is a place or, or a people that are ruled by a single authority. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be a people ruled, reigned by a single authority. Paul writes, he writes a lot of the New Testament. He writes in the book of Ephesians. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. He writes this really beautiful, um, powerful statement about who Jesus is. And it says this in verse 18. He says, um, I pray, like this is his prayer for the church at Ephesus, who he loves dearly. Man, if you don't know that, he just, he loves these people at Ephesus. And he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Okay, so he's going to tell us a couple things. He wants them to see. He wants, he's praying that God would open their eyes to see the depths of the hope. It goes on and says, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, right? All that it means, all that we've inherited as sons and daughters, as saints of Jesus. And then thirdly, he says, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. This, this is Paul's prayer, his desire for the people of Ephesus, that they would know the surpassing power. But look at how he says that they're going to know it. He says this, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which is just to say this is how he does it which he, being God, brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Amen? That's awesome that he raised Jesus from the dead. Savior Jesus, that's awesome, amazing. Life and hope and goodness and restoration are found in that he raised him from the dead, but it goes on and says, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power. There's a word again, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ones to come. That's us, the ones to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is a body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see a Jesus who is a savior but is not Lord, who does not have authority, is impotent to save you from anything. Paul says that our hope in the Savior Jesus is that he has authority over all things. Uh, it says it this way, um, a theologian named Abraham Cooper, he says this, he says, there is not one square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Our hope, the reason we can come before him and fall before him and worship and celebrate, the foundation of our hope is that he has the power to redeem and restore all things that he has the authority to cast out the darkness, that he has the authority to speak to the winds and the waves and they listen and they cease, that he has the authority over all. Our hope is worthless and empty if we do not fall at the foot of a sovereign king who rules over all. So here's my question to you. Question one is this. In what ways have you given yourself in submission 
to this authority because it doesn't say that Jesus is authority over most, over some, but he is the king of a kingdom who rules over everything. Jesus' call on you is for everything. Not for some, not for Sunday mornings, not for when it's convenient, not for when you remember to get up early and do some quiet time or Bible reading or, or when you listen to a nice podcast on your way to work or on your way home. Not in those moments, but in everything. But to be a follower of Jesus means to lay at the foot of him everything. I love uh, there's a, a pastor, his name's Tony Evans, great guy. You ever listen to Tony Evans, you should. You should read his books. He has some really great things. He's a big old black guy, and he just says things with just such force that I can't, but I'm going to read his quote anyway. And just imagine somebody who's way more manly than I am, okay? He said this, he being Jesus, he didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. Our hope, our salvation is founded in a Savior who is Lord, who came to take over and to cast out the darkness in you, who came to take authority over everything that is in you. Timothy Keller said it this way, same kind of idea, but he said it a little different. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. Because you see, we serve a king and a Lord who demands, who demands our following in all things. The people were astounded, awestruck that God would give such authority to a man. The second thing that I want you to see today is actually a little phrase right at the beginning. So you can go all the way back up to verse 2. Verse 2, it says this. And they brought him, being Jesus, a paralytic lying on a bed. And then there's these three words. It's, it's weird in English. They're weird words. If you think about them, if you sit on them, you see them, they're right there. Seen their faith. It's weird. They're weird and uncomfortable and awkward words in English because for most of us, faith is something that's in here. It's internal. It's in my spirit. I have faith in Jesus. I trust Jesus in my heart, in my mind, that it's an internal thing that you can't critique, you can't judge, you can't see my faith. But it says, and it says uniquely differently. You remember a little bit later, it says that, that Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking. He said, what's easier to, to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven, but so that you would know um, uh, that, that the Son of Man has the authority Take up your mat and walk, and he does, because he knows what they're thinking. It doesn't say that Jesus saw the, the friends coming, and he knew their faith in their heart or in their mind. It, it doesn't say that, that Jesus, looking at these, these men, bringing their friend before him, that, the, that they knew deep inside that, that he'd had a nice, quiet time with them that morning. And they'd spent time reflecting on the sovereignty and the goodness and the grandeur of God. And he knew because of their personal quiet time, it says this, it says, seeing their faith. Here's what I propose to you. Faith is seeable. Now, some of you are grammar Nazis and you know who you are, okay? Okay. 
And some of you just have an affection for spelling words and not making up words. And uh, I will tell you that seeable is a made-up word, okay? Just so you know, so the rest of the time, I'm going to use it for the rest of the time we have together. I'm going to use this word seeable. It's not a real word, okay? I know because while I've been doing my notes, it continues to pop up with that little red squiggly line underneath. The little red squiggly line that just shouts to you every time you see it, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, right? You ever type words in and you so misspell them when you right click on it to like give you the suggestion spelling, it doesn't, it has no suggestion, right? <laughs> if you type seeable, that's what'll pop up. It's just like no suggestion. And here's a little trick. In your mind, you can do it right now too. You can right click on it and you can go add to dictionary. You can just make it up. You can say, Sean's an idiot. Here's Sean's idiot dictionary. Seeable. But he, here's, here's the thing I'd tell you. Faith is seeable. It doesn't say that Jesus knew that down the street in a home there were four friends who'd been praying over their friend for so long and they'd been sitting there fasting and praying and he knew deep in their heart the sincerity of their faith and, 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 and he healed their friend. It says seeing their faith. Let me ask you this question. Is your faith seeable? There's a, there's a spot later on where um, Paul says this. He says, um, be prepared in season and out of season to give an account for anyone who asks you of the faith that you have, the hope that you have. And I listened to a theologian one time talk, and he, and he said this. He said, um, if your life looks like everybody else, nobody has any reason to ask you or to question you. That, that verse means nothing if your faith is not seeable. James says it this way, you've probably heard it, but I want to read it from a little bit different translation. It's James 2, verse 18. It says this in the New Century Version. It says this, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without doing anything, and I will show you my faith by what I do. If Jesus is Lord and Savior in your life, is it seeable? You may, you may not be like Peter standing up in front of crowds proclaiming the sovereignty and the goodness of God that, that, he, that he was so kind to give us his son. And you may not stand up and give a sermon and have thousands of people come follow you. It may be something so small and tiny. But is your face seeable? Is there anything about the way you live your life that looks anything different to anybody else who does not call Jesus Lord and Savior? Because if Jesus is both our Lord and Savior, he will be sovereign over all, and it will change the way we live. Is your faith seeable?